0: Uh, Please turn now to the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament. Uh, We're going to be reading verses 1 through to 12 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2 beginning at verse 1, finishing at verse 12. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as a living stone, coming to, or coming to him as to a living stone, "'Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. "'You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, "'a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices "'acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. "'Therefore, it is also contained within the Scripture. "'Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, "'and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. "'Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious.' But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they, they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honourable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe... Glorify God in the day of visitation. This is God's word. Let's pray. Well, God, thank you for what we have read here from this first epistle of Peter. We pray that as we study it together now that we might be encouraged by what you have called your people to be. And this comes with a level of challenge for us as well, a role for us to take up, a role for us to serve you well in. We pray that your spirit might continue to equip us, that we might fulfill this role to the glory of you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so today, as I said before, is what we call Reformation Sunday. It's the Sunday closest to the 31st of October every year, and it has been for 505 years now. Uh, Reformation Day is when Martin Luther, a former Roman Catholic priest, uh, posted... I, think, I don't think I can say nailed with confidence after conversation this morning, posted uh, on the church doors in the, uh, the German town of Wittenberg, 95 Theses, areas where the Roman Catholic Church had strayed from God's Word. The Reformation was about reforming the church, bringing the church back to alignment with what God's Word actually said, laying aside traditions of men that had crept in and saying, what does the Bible actually say now that might be a simplistic way of looking at the reformation but at its core that's really what was going on today we have just read 1 peter chapter 2 verses 1 to 12 now we're not going to be working through everything in here this is a little bit different than what i would normally do for a sermon what we're doing today is we're focusing on the nation of priests this holy priesthood a nation that god has called for himself We need to understand as we do this what the priesthood is. But we need to look at God's word and be guided by God's word to understand what this is all about. Now, Peter here is writing in New Testament times. After Christ has completed all the requirements of the law, perhaps when we hear that there is a a royal priesthood today, a nation of priests today, you might be wondering what that's all about. We might think of the priests as uh, old men, with big beards who wore the, the phylacteries and the tassels and all those things to remind them of God's word. Uh, the phylacteries are the little boxes they wrote the law in really, really tiny script and managed to fit it in. If it was my handwriting, it would be bad enough in big script, let alone what they were doing. They had God's law on their forehead, they had God's word on their wrists, they had the tassels to remind them of God's goodness to them. And we might go, well, what? Does that mean for us today, we're talking about priests, that's our image of the priest, what on earth is going on, because I don't see any phylacteries here today. I might see some tassels, I'm not sure, I'm not looking too closely. But it's not really what we're used to. As we start thinking about priests in the Old Testament or priests in, in the Bible, we might be aware of a downward spiral that the priests were on. They start off okay, but they get worse and worse and worse To so the time where we get to uh, the book of Malachi where they're offering up blind sheep as sacrifices to God. It's horrific because God said the sacrifice meant to be spotless, blemishless lambs. We might not, might not have a good image in our heads of what priests are. So we're told today in 1 Peter chapter 2 that you are a nation of priests. This is all believers are part of a nation of priests. We might be going... Maybe we don't want to be part of that. Maybe we are not sure what's going on here. There's a lot we could think about when it comes to the priest. It's a very broad topic. We're going to boil it down, though, to three points. Three points in the priesthood that were absolutely applicable through the Old Testament and that continue to be applicable today. They are firstly service, secondly holiness, and thirdly a proclamation of God. So we look first at service. As we look at this part of of the priesthood and what it means to be a priest, it's worth going back to the origins of the priests. Even going to the word priest, the Hebrew word for priest, and what it means. Now, I know that sometimes it can be tempting for preachers to show off what they know about the original languages. I've probably got a point where I'm more dangerous with my knowledge than useful most of the time. I'm not trying to show off, I just think this is important. When we look at the word, the Hebrew word for priest, which is koan, translates priest, it's a word that means to serve. No matter what other images we've had in our minds regarding what the priests were, this is a crucial and fundamental aspect of the priesthood. They were there to serve. To be a priest, as soon as they're brought into scripture they were to live in service to something other than themselves. They were to live in service of God and serving the nation of Israel. One of their primary functions was to offer sacrifices on behalf of God's people and to teach the people the word of God. In the time of the Reformation one of the things that had crept into the roman catholic church and sadly continues today is the idea that men can mediate between us and god this is a function that's fulfilled not by men but by jesus christ who is our great high priest in hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 to 16 jesus is described as being our great high priest who intercedes between us and god In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, we're told that Christ is interceding or or mediating between the people of God and our Heavenly Father. But this was a role of the priest until Jesus fulfilled it in a far greater way than they could have imagined in the Old Testament. But part of their service was to lead people to increased faithfulness in God. The priest didn't serve so that they could get rich. The priests were not meant to serve so that they could have the choice cuts of the offering as we see many priests fail to do. They weren't meant to be there to get things for themselves. They were meant to serve to lead the people in growing faithfulness. They did this through teaching God's law. They taught people God's word. And in doing this, they exposed the people of Israel not only to the the standard that God had for his people to live by, They also showed people the positive and the negative consequences for either failing to keep the law or keeping the law. And in teaching the law, they showed people the nature of the lawgiver. They showed people the nature of God. The priests served to point people to God, like us today. Where we look in society today, Israel was not that different in that it was made up of men and women living in a fallen world prone to sinful behaviours and in desperate need of a redeemer. Through the priest's teaching of the law, the people of Israel were were able to, to see not only how to live, but they saw the heart of God revealed in the law in a way that was supposed to lead people to greater and greater reliance on God. The sacrifices that the priests conducted for the people of Israel were to point Israel to the Lord that would permanently wash away their sins. The sacrificial system in Israel in the Old Testament was huge. It was enormous. It was a continual thing and they needed to have someone deal with sin permanently and that really is what the sacrifices were pointing to. Now while these things were specific functions of the Levitical priests, those who were descended from From Aaron of the house of Levi in the Old Testament. There's a sense in which this applied to Israel as a nation as well. They're they're living lives of service to God. In Exodus chapter 19 verse 6, God's people are told by God that they were to be a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. This echoes a promise that God gave to Abraham way back in the book of Genesis that His descendants and his descendants, he and his descendants who followed after him, would be a blessing to the nations. At the core of the priests was this idea that they were to live lives of service to God in a way that showed the nations that God is a holy God. That God is not like the gods around them and that God's people were not meant to be like the people in the nations around them. That God's people were meant to be separate and holy just as God alone is holy. Now the priests, I'm sure we're getting the idea by now, they dropped the ball many, many times. But this was a standard that God set. And it's in this standard being set that the priesthood is continued today in setting the example of what true worship to the Lord God Almighty looks like through pointing people to God through His Word. In this regard, the priesthood, you could say, very much continues to this day. But it's not the Levitical priesthood of the Old Testament where it depends on genealogy. Are you descended from Aaron? Do you belong to the house of Levi? Another thing we read in the book of Hebrews is that that Jesus Christ is one after the order of Melchizedek. A different order, a better order of priesthood, a greater order. And he, in that order, is our great high priest. We serve under him. Peter says to the people here that he's writing to in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are chosen. We are not accidental Christians. Peter says here that we are a nation belonging to God a royal priesthood and a holy nation. In many ways, this echoes exactly what we read in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, which I referenced before. As Christians, we may not think about this very often, but we are part of a royal priesthood. Again, where the priests in the Old Testament were descended from the the first priest they had of Aaron, We are following on from the one who was both prophet, who was, not both, that's two things, who was prophet, priest and king. Our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, who was from a different priesthood, a better priesthood. We are a holy nation for God's possession. A fundamental thing of what it is to live for God to be part of this to be saved from sin and belong to god is that we live lives serving god taking guidance from scripture not from the horoscopes certainly not from the horoscopes not from the financial forecasts we read about not from whatever the interest rates are doing not from any of those things we take our guidance in life from god and his word we serve god faithfully we point people to our Lord God Almighty. We are a holy nation for God's possession. As God is holy, his people are meant to be holy. And this brings us into our second point where we look at holiness. Now, this is really why we read Leviticus 11, particularly verses 44 and 45. Now, we could have just read them, but that would have taken it way out of context. And yes, we put up with the creepy, crawly things. This is part of it. Holiness, personal holiness, and corporate holiness. And this is another thing outlined for the priests in the Old Testament. Leviticus eleven, forty four and forty five. Let me turn there and read these verses for us again. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. You shall be holy, for I am holy. That is a huge challenge laid down to us. And it's a thing we read, not just in Leviticus 11:44 44 and 45. We read that in the book of Deuteronomy as well. We see it coming out when God speaks to the people in Deuteronomy of the need that they have to circumcise their hearts. We see it in Thessalonians, the first book of Thessalonians, where Paul writes to the church there and says that they are to be holy. It's a high calling. It's a challenging thing to be holy. But this is a, com- a repeated command given in Scripture. And it's a command not just for groups like we gathered as today, it's a command for each one of us personally. As a church reading this, we should go, is our conduct holy before God? And when I go about my day-to-day work life, when I go to school, when I'm at home, whether that be as a father or a mother or a grandmother or a grandfather or a child or a brother or a sister or uncle or auntie, am I living in holiness? Now, we could go through a whole heap of things as to what holiness is, but I think if you go through uh, the start of 1 Peter 2, I wasn't sure whether to include this, but I think it's good. Let's just flip these things. Therefore, laying aside, so putting these things aside is how we live in holiness, and we should have, not just put these things aside, but adopt the opposites of them. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking, put those things aside those things are not holy the opposite of those things is holiness we need to keep that in mind holiness is something for each one of us to be mindful of when it comes to our standing before God yes we each have a part to play in the church to which we belong we do but we can't ride by on the, the work on other, that other people have done. We can't get by riding on other people's coattails. That's not how it works. When I was at university, uh, I used to, to dread reading through the assignment task guides at the start of the semester. What I dreaded wasn't so much the assignment. I'd whinge about the assignments as much as every other student. You have to. It's compulsory. You should expect it as a uni student. It's part of the gig, but we always whinge about it, don't we? But what I dreaded was reading the words group task. Not not much strikes fear into the hearts of students like those words. Although this time of year, I was reminded driving home from the prayer meeting yesterday, another thing that could strike fear into the hearts of students is jacaranda trees. I remember Dad preaching when we were younger, reminding us that the jacaranda trees coming into flower means it's the end of year exams for students. Isn't that exciting? But we look here and we can't get by writing on other people's co Sorry about that, interlude. That was not necessary. But I remember doing a group assignment that was a debate. Now I was put into a group of, with uh, three other students. There were four of us in this debate group. On the day of the debate, two people happened to be sick. They also happened to have never shown up for any of our meetings to organise this debate at all. It was terrible. I enjoyed writing the review of their input to the class, to the assignment, but that was terrible because it was just an absolute shamozle. Now, I didn't mind debating at the time. I don't like arguing so much these days, but at the time I was very excited because a debate was just a polite argument. That was good fun. For some people, they rode by on our coattails. They didn't turn up. We'd done the work. They didn't get a full grade because of their lack of attendance or lack of participation. They still got some credit for it. When it comes to holiness before God, we cannot ever expect it to be like that. We can't say, yes, I had an opportunity to be involved in evangelism, but I thought somebody else at church had it covered, so I didn't do it. I could have sat down and asked somebody how their week was going, but someone else was talking to them, so they're covered. I know they're going through a hard time, I didn't call them or text them during the week. Somebody else did it. That's good. Are we really living in holiness if we're not living up to God's standard for us? And holiness, of course, goes far more than that. It talks about hypocrisy, deceit, malice, envy, evil speaking, these sorts of things. We can't expect it because somebody else might be trusting God that we are okay. Kids, particularly for you. If your parents love God, that doesn't mean you don't have to develop a relationship with God too. One of the blessings of being in a covenant church is in a covenant family is that you're going to grow up hearing about God. But it's important for you guys to love God as your own as well. We can't get by because of what other people around us do. The task before us is big. The task before us to, to live in holiness, it, it is enormous. And it's one that we can't do perfectly. It's another reminder that we desperately need the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. And what it comes down to is we either have the Holy Spirit increasing our holiness or we don't. There's no middle ground. We cannot be holy by our own efforts, we certainly can't be holy because of the conduct of the people around us. By the Holy Spirit alone, do we grow in holiness? For those in the Old Testament, it was a matter of whether they had faith that God truly would send that promised redeemer that the Messiah would come and free Israel from their captivity of sin, that he would be their God and that they would worship him faithfully in spirit and truth. For us, we look back at that and say, do we truly believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour? This faith was also to be shown to the nations surrounding Israel by Abraham and his descendants being a blessing to the nations around them. It wasn't just that they were nice people. They were to show the people around them what it meant to trust God and live in covenant faithfulness to God. 1 Peter chapter 2, particularly verses 11 and 12, captures this for us as well today. That we abstain from evil, that we abstain from sin, so that even the people around us, Peter used the word Gentiles here, those who are outside of the church, might look at us and see and in turn serve and glorify God in the day of visitation. This charge that we are given here is big. Those of us who profess faith in Christ, we know that we are truly different than we were prior to having made a confession of faith, profession of faith. But the work isn't finished yet. But the encouraging thing is that while we aren't yet perfect, we are being shaped and reformed every single day by God's grace. We are growing in holiness every single day. should remind us of the words of Galatians 5, that we need to keep in step with the Spirit so that we might be increasingly holy. Not in an uppity way, not in a I'm better than you, thumb our nose at people way, but holiness that increases our service, our service to God and to our fellow man. And finally, we see the need to Now, I have left this to last, but it's not really last, because we've been touching on this the whole way through. Before we run off and start telling people about how good God is, if we have glaring sins in our lives, I think we probably need to do some work, don't we? It's not a very credible witness to God otherwise. But by God's grace, we work on those things. Those, sinfulness in our, those areas of sinfulness in our life are removed. As, uh, as Paul puts it, we put to death sin in our lives as we grow in holiness. And having grown in holiness and continuing to grow in holiness, not being perfect, but continuing to grow in holiness, we go and we proclaim God in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 we see a very very specific charge given to us to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light we use words of goodness a lot don't we but I don't think we've overused the word excellencies and I like it I'm talking to people, I'll say, that's fantastic, that's great, that's brilliant. But excellencies is something different. At least in my vocabulary, it's not really there. And I'm glad in a lot of ways because the excellencies of God are more than just things we see around us that are good or fantastic. This is perfection. See, what we do here when we proclaim God is we proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light. Again, go back to the start of 1 Peter chapter 2. We see things there that exhibit Darkness. We've been called out of that, removed out of that. Colossians writes, uh, Paul writes in Colossians about this as well. Been called out of that. This is, ex- is not an exhaustive sentence here, but the picture here is huge. Do we declare the excellencies of God? Think about what God has done. He is the Creator. He is the one who holds all things together. He is the one who has saved us from sin. He is the one who saved us from sin, brought us into his family and has given us a productive, useful job to do. This is an excellent God and his works truly are excellencies. This is what we are meant to proclaim. This is what we are meant to tell people. We are meant to tell people about the God who brought the whole universe into being simply by speaking. This is God whose love for mankind has been evident even in creation. Think about how God acted in creation. Not only was mankind the pinnacle of creation, but God demonstrated an extra and a special care for people by Before forming Adam and Eve, making the Garden of Eden, in all of his good creation, he even made an even more good place for Adam and Eve to live. This is God who is gracious and patient and merciful we meant to tell people that God is these things. He did not wipe mankind out after our first sin, which he would have had every right to do. This is God who promised salvation. This is God who, despite his priests' continued misrepresentation of himself to the people and the nations watching, still sent his son as the means of salvation that he might redeem us. This is God, God who the second person of the Trinity died on the cross in my place for my sins and your sins if you believe in him. To be part of a nation of priests does mean that we live lives serving God and serving others. It does mean that we strive to reach that lofty standard of holiness and that drives us to asking God to get us to that point because we cannot get there on our own. And to be part of this nation of priests means to continue to declare the excellencies of God who has called us out of darkness and into his light. This is what scripture calls us to do. Martin Luther and the other reformers, they, they saw this in scripture. Scripture. And when they saw it, they did something that we should take note of. They didn't just read it and say, huh, that's a fun fact to keep to myself. That's a fun thing to write on a book and put on the shelf and just grow our record, our libraries of knowledge and not do anything with it. What we learn about God should result in action. When we see these things about God, we should share the good news. If Luther and the other reformers had not done what they had done, I don't know where we'd be right now. To proclaim the good news of God isn't just for those big names in history though. We are a nation of priests. We have a rich heritage going back not only to the reformers but way before then as well. We have a God who has saved us who causes his own. So what do we do? We serve in holiness. We serve in holiness and we proclaim the gospel to people in the church and to those outside of the church who desperately need to hear the message of Jesus Christ, the Saviour. Don't tell people your version though. That's what the Reformers had a problem with. That's what we should have a problem with. Don't tell people just the parts that make you comfortable. Tell them what the Bible says and don't hold back. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word and we thank you that you have called us to be a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Lord God, this is a nice thought in many ways, yet we pray that it would not just stay a nice thought. May we serve you. May we demonstrate our love for you by sacrificially following in the footsteps of Christ, who showed us what it is to glorify you with all of our lives. Help us to do this. Help us to proclaim the excellencies of your name and may you grow your kingdom here on earth. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.